Please listen carefully. Psych Essentials is a show about learning psychiatry. It's fun and educational, but should not be taken as medical advice or opinion. So kick back and try not to worry about those glaring ego deficits. We like you anyway. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, James. Who? You don't know who you are? What? Wait, what's happening? Where where are we? So we're recording a podcast episode, remember? Okay. And we're going to learn more about cognition. Excellent, because my cognition is all over the place Yeah, today. if you don't know who you are or where you are, I'm a little bit concerned. We need to go back to square one. Tell me everything about cognition. Okay, so cognition is the next part of the mental status exam. It involves three main things. So first is orientation, second is memory, and third is attention. But it can also include some other things that you can test for with cognition, but you don't have to every time. And so these are things like abstract thinking and overall um, executive functioning. So cognition is tested using a combination of informal assessment based on your interaction with the patient and what they're doing when you're interviewing them, as well as some formal assessments, which we'll go over um, during this episode. So let's start things off with orientation, which James, I think we could use a little bit of work on. Let's test it. So let's test it. So first... You'll try to get a sense of if the person is alert. I'm alert. Good. <laughs> or are you somnolent right now? Did you just wake up? Hmm. Well, it's, it's always a guess. <laughs> so those are some things to kind of get a sense of. Like, is this patient able to participate in your interview? Or are they like falling asleep throughout the interview, which happens... So then moving on to the actual orientation questions, um, you'll, ask, you'll get a sense of if the person knows who they are. So what's your name? James. Correct. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then the next question that you'll ask is if they're oriented to to where they are right now. In other words, orientation to place. Mm -hmm. So where are you right now? We're in my apartment. Correct. Then the next thing is orientation to time. So in other words, does the patient know the date? If they don't know it off the top of their head, then you can start really broadly. Like you can ask them if they know what year it is and then kind of like work down to the smaller parts. So you can ask them then about month. If they know that, then great. Then you can ask more specifically about date or day of the week. Sometimes I ask them like, if, if they're seeming really like unsure, I'll ask them what season does yes. it seem like? Yes, that's another really good way. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes I'll even ask them if, if there was a recent holiday, you can ask them there was a recent major holiday. Do you know what it, what it was? Mm, okay. So that's another way to generally get it time. Lastly, you'll check on their orientation to situation. So in other words, why are you here in the hospital right now, for example, or why are you here in the emergency department tonight? So those are the four things, orientation to person, place, time, situation. Okay. And can you comment, how do you document that? There's some shorthands for it. So you'll often comment first by their level of alertness. So if they're alert, you'll say alert, mm-hmm. comma, um, and then you, you'll next write orientation times person, place, and time okay. and situation. So the shorthand that can look like ANO times four. Mm-hmm. I often comment specifically though on what they're oriented to instead of just writing four. Okay. I'm really glad you do that because sometimes I see ANO times three 
or for instance. Right. And I'm like, just what not sure mean? what they asked specifically because that could be so variable. Yeah, and I, I even find it helpful when they don't answer things correctly to include exactly what they answered in your um, in your documentation of orientation. So, like, if they said 1992, yep, I'll you, write it would, in you there. would just write specifically what they said. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. What's next? All right. So next is memory. So memory is often kind of a general gestalt. What the patient is is remembering when you're talking with them. In other words, can they recall the question that you just asked them? Can they talk about what happened yesterday? Can they talk about what happened a long time ago? But if you wanted to do more formal testing, um, there are some assessments that you can use to test immediate memory, short-term memory, and long-term memory. So immediate memory is like, can they remember something that you just told them? Short-term memory is more along the line of minutes to hours, and then long-term memory is even further than that. It can range from you know weeks all the way back to their childhood. So the formal test for immediate and short term is first you as the interviewer should pick three words in your head and um, it's it's helpful to use the same words every time so that way you don't forget them that's happened to me before Um, so pick the three words in your head and then give the following instructions to the patient Um, you should say something like I'm going to repeat three words now and I'd like you to repeat them back to me you'll say the three words have them repeat them back to you. And then you say, I'm going to have you repeat those three words back to me again in five minutes. You'll prompt them to repeat those words again. What sorts of words do you tend to pick? Mine are kind of random. And I, so mine are baseball, Broadway, and strawberry. And the only reason I use those three is because a psychiatrist used them in front of me when I was a a second year medical student and they just stuck in my head. Hmm. What about you? I tend to use pen, chair, and apple. I like it. It's probably a little simpler than baseball, Broadway, and strawberry. But for some reason, I don't forget those. No, I like those nouns. And and it's almost (laughs) a little bit of a Freudian test. Like, (laughs) what's on your mind? (laughs) Exactly. So whatever the words are, just Mm -hmm. try to remember them. So that is immediate and short-term memory. And then next is long-term memory. And again, it's kind of overall just all like, do they remember things that happened a while ago. A useful way to test for this is ask to ask them about their childhood to see if they remember th- events from it or if, if they're an older adult, you can ask them about events from um, their life as a young adult to see if they remember it um, or even kind of what happened to them in the past several months to see if, if they remember that. Things like, where'd you grow up? Yep. And uh, what are your parents like? Exactly. Or maybe more recently, like, have you been working? What type of job do you work at? Right, right. It's a kind of way to blend the social history mm-hmm. and, and some memory tests. Exactly. So that's memory. What's next? So next is attention. Generally, this is more or less, are they paying attention to you during the conversation and able to answer questions um, in an appropriate way? But more formally, there's a number of different tests that you can do. One test uh, that people tend to loathe is serial sevens. So that is when you start from 100 and subtract by sevens in in a sequential order. Want to try? Yeah. So 100, 93, 86. It's, uh, (laughs) It's tricky. 70... 
nine. Yep. Whew. All right, we're going to cut that off now. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's kind of stressful and patients feel stressful. that way. And serial sevens is actually not a test of your overall intellect, even though it feels like that when you're the patient. It feels like a math test. Right, exactly. It feels like a math test, but it's really a test of the patient's ability to stay on task and concentrate on the task at hand. So some of the other ones um, that are are commonly used to test attention that are not as math focused would be spelling world backwards. So you say, um, can you please spell the word world backwards? And Mm -hmm. they'll go ahead and do it. If you think that the patient might struggle with a task of spelling or math due to their education level, you could also do um, a slightly easier version of serial seven. So you could do something like serial threes, or there are other tasks um, that you can use that don't involve any math or spelling, but still require you to pay attention. Um, So for example, you could have them list the days of the week backwards, starting from Sunday, or you could have them list the months of the year backwards, starting from December. None of that involves math. One cool way that I've seen that implemented is someone will ask, what month is it? And then they'll answer and they'll say, what was the month before this? Mm-hmm. And they'll have them start counting backwards from months, which is a little shorthand to I combine like it. <laughs> orientation and attention. It's a nice, clever way of doing that. Yeah. Combining things. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so far we've talked about orientation, memory, and attention, which are the three pillars of cognitive. Correct. Correct. But then there's some bonus things that you can test as well. So one of the other things that you can test, um, is abstract thinking. And this is a component of cognition that can provide some useful information about how a patient processes information. Um, and it can be assessed in a variety of ways, but it's not always included in a mental status exam since it's not always directly relevant to a problem at hand. So one common way to assess um, abstraction is to list two objects and have the patient try to identify the category in which those two objects belong. So for example, mm-hmm. a chair and a table, how are they similar? So you might say that a chair and table are similar because they're both furniture. Exactly. And that would be an example of an abstract um, response. Okay. What, what else might someone say? They might say, oh, those are both made out of wood. Okay. And that's thinking at a slightly different level. That's a more concrete way of thinking about categorization. So that person is thinking literally what is a chair, what is a table, Mm -hmm. and what physical things do they have in common? Yeah. Another one could be how are a train and a car similar? So you might say they're both forms of transportation. Exactly. And that would be the abstract response. Mm -hmm. But then the concrete response would be something like, well, they both have wheels. In other words, you're not looking at the bigger picture, the more abstract picture. Okay. That's one way of assessing abstract thinking. And then another way is to have the patient interpret proverbs, Mm. which everyone loves to do. I'm actually not familiar with a lot of the proverbs that could be tested. So it's always important to use one that makes sense to you. So some of the ones that I've seen commonly used are there's no use crying over spilled milk or people living in glass houses should not throw stones. And then you ask the patient, what does this saying mean to you? 
I think it's important that if we're going to list these, we should actually discuss them for a, a moment. Yeah. So if I say there's no crying over spilled milk, what does that mean? Well, I, <laughs> I hate proverbs. <laughs> so I it means like there's no use wasting your time over something bad that's already happened. Like you're... And something kind of trivial. Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So like... If something small and minor happens to you, like, don't get upset. Just kind of move on with yes, your life. Yes, exactly. Okay. And people, What would a concrete response look like? Um, I've heard people say it means don't cry. It's pretty concrete. It's pretty concrete. Pretty concrete. It's not... They're not, they're not co- connecting the event and the response you should have. They think it just means it's not good to cry. Um, where that's not really what the proverb is saying. It's trying to imply that in certain situations... It's how you react. Right. What about people living in glass houses should not throw stones? So I think the proverb is trying to say you should not judge other people for things that are the case for you. It's, mm. I think it's, a, it's, a, right. it's trying to say don't be hypocritical. Right. Because, for instance, and, and this is how I've heard people respond concretely, I asked that to someone once, and she said, it means don't throw rocks at your window. <laughs> well. <laughs> Which is not not could. true. <laughs> so I think that's the point. It's not that it's not that their interpretation is wrong or not true. Right. It's, it's how missing they're, the bigger picture, though. Exactly. They're, they're not sort of understanding this abstraction. They're not able to sort of draw on it a larger life lesson. Right. Which is what a proverb is, right? Right. So there we go. That's how to test abstract thinking. One key point with all of these tests that we talked about is that it's really important to put these responses into the context of the patient's overall education level, their age, and their social cultural background. So for example, if you're interviewing a patient who recently immigrated from Ethiopia and you ask them about a proverb that might not translate very well into their culture and like what they understand or even their language abilities at that point, that might be a barrier as well. Or if you were talking with maybe a young kid, it would be unreasonable to ask them to spell if if they weren't able to spell. Absolutely. Always important to keep the overall context of who the patient is in mind when you're um, doing some of these tests. Yeah. So then... Another key point is that these tests that we're talking about are a very rough estimate of cognition. And if you're at all concerned about someone's overall cognition, maybe you're concerned about possible dementia, you can do more thorough screening tests um, for cognition. Some of the more commonly used ones are the mini mental status exam. Um, Shorthand is the MMSE or the Montreal Cognitive Assessment, which is called the MOCA. And those are really useful for documenting and tracking someone's level of cognition with a, a score that you can follow over months to years. One really important thing with these particular more thorough screening assessments um, is that it's important to document not just the score itself, but also what they missed because certain domains of cognitive functioning might be more impaired versus others in certain types of dementias. So that's valuable information to include. Both the mini mental status and the MOCA are one page sheets Mm -hmm. that you can easily find online and print out. And then often you can walk through them 
with the patient. And like you said, you get a score at the end. So you should get some sort of numerical value. There's scales that'll, that'll sort of imply the level of cognitive functioning. I think for both of them, the score is out of 30. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I think is is great, especially as a early learner, is that this can be a really helpful thing, especially if you're on a team, to help out with because there are things that let you sort of talk with a patient, and I think that's especially valuable. And I think that there's something that is useful in terms of assessing someone's cognition really specifically. Yeah, absolutely. The information is valuable. It helps the team and it also helps you to learn the cognition part of the mental status exam better because you'll inevitably do it again and again in the future, regardless of what fields you go into. Yeah. Isn't there one other way to test cognition? Yeah. So if you had to pick only one test and perhaps you were short on time so that you didn't have time to do a full mocha or mini mental status, you could do a clock drawing test. This is a super useful test and it provides information about all of these things that we're talking about. So executive functioning, attention, memory, and even their overall level of uh, visual spatial knowledge. So with the clock drawing test, you will have them draw a clock, have them put the numbers on it and then tell them to set the hands to 10 past 11 or you know, some arbitrary time. And then in looking at it, you'll get a good sense of, you know, if they're able to draw a circle, if they're able to put um, the numbers in the appropriate parts of the, the clock face, and then if they're able to set the clock hands to where they should be. The clock drawing test also gives you information for neurologic exams. It does. Yeah, there's some really interesting clock drawings that you can find online from folks with more focal lesions. Yeah, maybe we'll leave a link to that on our on our website. Definitely. Cool. So you've told us about orientation, yeah. memory, attention, and then you also told us a little about abstract thinking and how to test some of these cognitive functions specifically. Yep. So all of those things together is cognition in the, the mental status exam. Cool. And I bet as you meet people, you'll get a sense of different levels of cognition and how that, like you said, can be influenced by their background Mm -hmm. and and where they're at. Yep, exactly. Cool. So that was episode five in our mental status exam series. Next time we'll be wrapping it up with insight and judgment. Very exciting. In the meanwhile, check out our website. Uh, Tell us what you'd like to hear more about in the future. What is our website? www.psychessentials.org psychessentials.org You can also find us on iTunes where you can rate, comment, and share Psych Essentials with other people, and we hope you will. Our music is by Javier Suarez off his album Tumbling Dishes. There's a link on our website, psychessentials.org. As always, people, places, details, things we've talked about have been changed to protect confidentiality. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye.